Hey everyone, this is Aaron. I will be taking a vacation, at least from podcasting for a while. I hope you enjoy these rebroadcast episodes from our Hall of Fame archives. You know, we started this podcast because so many black belts and green belts, what I was finding is they get out of their training, they're really overwhelmed with the information, and they're just kind of like left a little bit empty, wondering, okay, what's next? Chances are many organizations that have just started the program don't have that flexibility or luxury of having a mentor kind of reinforces or gives some, how do you say, confirmation to, hey, what I'm hearing or what I'm doing actually makes sense or this is what I'm struggling with and that's common, so that's fine. So that's why you and I are here each week to be their regular coaches. So we're going to continue to support all of you guys who are listening so long as you continue to support us. We really appreciate you joining us on our journey. Tell your friends and colleagues all about us. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review to help us reach more Lean Six Sigma and quality professionals. You can search for eSuccess Methods Podcast in the search field on iTunes, or you can find us under the business and career section. And uh, by all means, keep listening. We have lots more coming. And if you ever have feedback or ever have some comments or even if you need a quick coaching tip, feel free to reach out on our website, eSuccessMethods.com. Welcome to eSuccess Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron your source for expert advice on Lean, Six Sigma, and performance improvement methods. In this episode number 64, we introduce the concepts of stable and capable processes and what they mean in the eye of the cash holder. That's your customer. Here we go. Hey, Jacob, how are you? I'm doing good, Aaron. How are you? Jacob, I'm doing great. Jacob, you ready to try this a second time? Definitely. (laughs) Do you want to explain why it's a second time? Yeah, well, um, so... It hopefully will appear seamless to the audience, but you and I did this uh, same thing yesterday, same topic, and uh, I only captured half the conversation, so we're doing it again. So hopefully we can come up with all the same brilliant insights that we had yesterday. But I was going to uh, say, hopefully this is better than last one then. I have a feeling we're just going to kind of brush over it this time. <laughs> all right, then. So I, actually what I'll do is... Um, even though we pretty much only got your voice yesterday. You know, if there's any insights that you had yesterday that makes sense as a one-sided direction, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll splice those in. Yeah, that might be too much work. I wouldn't bother. As a one-sided conversation. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. We do it for the listener. All right, then. Okay, so we are... Uh, this one is called in Capability in the Eye of the Cash Holder, and the cash holder is the customer, right? They're the ones who have the money. We're trying to get it. We're trying to keep them happy. Um, so process capability, we're kicking that off with the idea of stable and capable because you can't really approach capability unless you first approach stability. And we're going to go through what those terms mean in this particular episode. Sounds like a plan. Let's do this. All right. So there is this idea out there, and it still is pretty prevalent that, uh, hey, you know, my process is in spec, that's good enough. I don't even understand what variation is. Why Why does variation even matter? I mean, it is a valid question, isn't it? No, it's not. Ooh, all right, then. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, yes, I mean, there's plenty of products that I've said, it's in spec, that's what we agreed to, you ship it. And, and that is the real answer. If it's in spec, you do ship it. That is the... Um, contracted value. You don't put extra resources on something that's still in spec, right? However, uh, there is an injustice if you think 
that uh, you can target the edge of the spec and that uh, that'll be okay. And uh, and if you think that you um, if you don't even try to minimize the variation within that specification window, uh, you're also doing an injustice. You are you're causing yourself extra pain uh, in the form of increased rework and increased rejection rates, uh, as well as pawning some of those pains off on your customer and frankly their end customers. And it, it actually ends up coming to us as the consumer eventually. So I don't want to go too much further into that. I actually have another whole other episode on the Taguchi loss function, which we'll go into more detail on that. Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the way I look at it a little bit is, you know, if your spec is wide enough, everything's going to be fantastic. You as a manufacturer or you as a provider is not even, are not even going to notice things going out of spec uh, until you start seeing a trend. And I think, the variation or looking at capability makes a lot of sense when you want to start detecting, am I going off track Mm -hmm. or am I leaning towards one side of the spec? And eventually if I don't do something, be it preventive maintenance or whatever it might be, or, you know, checking on some other raw inputs that's going into this process, I might end up going below the specification limit or above the specification limit. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's more of I being able to identify that. That's why, yeah, being in spec is fantastic, but you really want to know and understand what your capability is. Well, let's let's also just talk briefly about, you know, say everything is on the hairy edge of a spec. Everything in a a single assembly is on the hairy edge of a spec. If you have have a, a pin that is on the high side of the spec, meaning it's wider than it... Uh, wider than nominal, and then you have a hole, which is on the lower end of the spec. You you could have a pin that doesn't fit, even though everything is in spec. But you still have parts that don't fit their function, uh, and you you can and you can have the opposite. You can have part you know a pin that is too loose in a hole, and those are the sort of situations you find when everything uh, is really not based off of the nominal or target value in the specification. So let's talk a little bit about jargon. Well. We're going to throw this fancy term out there called CPK, and there's going to be a lot more jargon out there. So what do you think about that? Well, it is, you know, in my opinion, it is confusing for somebody who has who is not familiar with the jargon. Mm. And at that point, they either look at you as a cool kid or the nerd who is trying to show off. Yeah, the jerk, the, the jerk who's trying to show them up, right, with the fancy yeah. terms, right? With the right. fancy terms, um, you know, it's uh, is it valuable? Absolutely. Is the jargon valuable? Probably not. It's the it's what the jargon's trying to communicate is what's critical or valuable behind it. So I'm I'm leaning a lot nowadays towards keeping things simple and making it easy for people to understand. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, besides, I would want to say even in manufacturing. A lot of people might understand CPK and some of those fancy, uh, you know, sigma level calculations and what does sigma level equate to and how does it work. But, you know, beyond that, even that is questionable. But any other industry, at least I'm in the service industry now, so I should speak for that. None of this actually holds as much strength or individual, you know, how do I say, you know, by itself. Do people understand Mm -hmm. it? Absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. It's it's just uh, it's confusing to be honest. More than helping when I bring well, a terminology. Yeah. So I mean, 
in some circles, the jargon makes it easier to express, you know, a, a complex thought. Like uh, CPK, if I think of, if you say a CPK is equal to one, I automatically know what that means. Or a CPK of two, I know what that means because I've studied it. I, I understand how that is in relation to the specifications and the variation and the centeredness. Um, all of that, it comes into a clear picture for me. So where that breaks down is when that does when it doesn't clear for people, right? If 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 that doesn't if that one word doesn't simplify the idea, then you have a, a problems, and you need to go back to layman's terms instead of the jargon. You need to go back to okay, let's not talk CPK. Let's talk about percent defective, or let's talk about the money you're going to lose as a result of this situation. Exactly. What does this translate to? It takes more words. But it's more rooted in in reality, something everybody can appreciate um, on a daily basis, or even relate to. <laughs> right, exactly. But the the bottom line is whether or not this jargon holds weight. Uh, at some point, even in the service industry, it's going to be replaced by some other jargon. It might not be CPK. Um, Sigma level, I have a feeling, is going to stick around for a little while. But uh, CPK, I've heard that it might be on its way out. So while we were talking about service industries, uh, I found it a little bit surprising that uh, not only do some people not have an appreciation for variation and how that affects their specifications and and uh, how that's important, there's a lot of people who not even been exposed to that, especially in the business process world, but even more so, not even an appreciation for having specifications or or metrics around their business processes have you have you found that to be similar yeah actually a lot i mean you know i think again if i step out of manufacturing even in even in the in a manufacturing company outside of the manufacturing world so if you look at hr finance accounting all these groups they probably you know chances are they're not measuring themselves against anything right yeah you know i me being in the service industry again uh, now, you know, back in the day, they were all like, I just need to look at the accuracy of my data. Nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's not, it was never, never fathomed that actually the client is not consuming the data in my database, but it's consuming an output from the database that's getting translated into a product and then being delivered. That aspect was not necessarily always top of the mind it was more like if my data in my database is correct then it should be right in the client's then, face then everything is fine right exactly so uh you know I, I think it's changing i think the realization sinking in a lot and 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 you can see that right a lot of people now are focused in every facet of six sigma i've seen lean and six sigma for marketing lean and six sigma for design lean and mm-hmm. six sigma for finance accounting healthcare you know every industry is catching up I'd say but, for every every process that has to be repeated uh, fairly frequently, it's a good idea to consider using these types of tools and some standard work and metrics to uh, make sure that everything is all set on on track. Yeah, I mean, it's just that back in the day, nobody really paid attention besides how stuff is getting made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all people bother about. Now, I think it's spreading a lot more. Sure, and you know, and capability setting some sort of you know, I would say standards or expectations and, you know, you can call it specifications, whatever those might be. Those are all part of, you know, having some sort of 
measurements or metrics that you can measure against and see are you performing or are you not right you are listening to e6s methods podcast brought to you by e6s industries join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com journey through success if you haven't checked it out already be sure to go to our product page at e6s-methods.com You'll find an assortment of unique templates and tools to help you, the practitioner, be more effective in your work. From a SWOT analysis to our most popular cross-training matrix or our proprietary consultant's companion to our action register with automated risk alerts, you'll find these tools useful. If you don't, just ask for a refund. No hassle, no expiration. What makes these templates so special? It's simple. They already exist. They're easy to use and they work. You'll save hours or even days developing and formatting your own templates, all while helping to fund this free podcast. Check it out. All right, so there's our intro. and So let's actually get into the meat of what we're going to talk about. So stable and capable. We want to be both stable and capable. So... Let's first talk about stable. What does when I say stable, what does that mean to you? It means that it's always in spec and that it doesn't go around anywhere. Would you think something else? I do think something else. I think that Ooh. stable does not necessarily not necessarily mean in spec. It means predictable. It means generally displaying the same sort of behavior in a consistent manner. Um, but it does not necessarily mean in spec. So uh, here's what we're getting to. Stable means it is only displaying common cause variation that is normal and random and Hmm. uh, no patterns that are statistically unlikely. So there is a difference between common cause variation and special cause variation. Now, special cause variation are considered statistical anomalies, those things that are very infrequent. Uh, approximately three in a thousand chance of having uh, happened all by themselves. And there's some rules to detect what these are. Uh, They're called Western electric rules. And if we did a process control chart or a a, uh, statistical process control chart or a run chart, these rules could help detect whether or not we are having a uh, stability problem in our process. All right. So, you know, that begs the question, what is the what might be an example for a special cause variation? Because I don't think we've really talked about common cause and special cause variation specifically. What might be the difference mm. between the two? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I think of common cause variation, it's it's things that happen naturally in the process that even if I keep every setting without even switching anything in the process, you know, I do it the exact same way in the exact same conditions I am still mm-hmm. going to expect a slightly different output. I, no, no, I shouldn't say expect. I'm still going to measure a slightly different output depending on the, you know, how many decimal spaces or how many decimal points I go down to to measure that detail of the result. Yeah, that's a good point because sometimes your variation comes from your measurement system. But it's, it's really uh, it's an all added together or combined it's sum of noise, really. It's it's noise in the system. It's static. It's things that you can't necessarily pinpoint because they're all grouped together, and they. It's just uh, it's yeah, it's noise in the system, and then that, that's common cause variation. We call it common cause because it's natural and expected, and um, 
it is described by random normal variation, and it is a little weird to think of randomness as being bad, uh, predictable. Yeah, true. But it's um, uh, it's actually considered a good situation um, within reason. Obviously, um, you don't want too much variation, but uh, essentially, if you have special cause variation, it means that you are out of control, and things that are non-random are happening. Meaning, there are things that have a cause, usually a a uh, external variable that has come in and caused a disruption in your system. Often, I I think of the special cause as usually a a human factor that is uh, having an impact. Yeah, you know, it could be a human factor. I mean, the way I look at it, it's a special cause variation. If it does exist, is something that in most cases, you need to have an answer for. Why did this mm-hmm. happen? It could be human cause. It could be environment-related causes. You know, suddenly the temperature dipped by 50 degrees like it's doing apparently in all of U.S. again. <laughs> you know. Yes, that is special cause. Yeah, you know, it does. I mean, the, with the winter that's happening here this year, I don't think it should be considered special cause because it's happening so often. But in general, those are the kind of things that it's not as a part of the system that regularly happens or switches off. So Mm -hmm. if that's triggering some sort of reaction in your result, then that might be a special cause variation. And this whole winter is a special cause. Definitely. (laughs) In the the history books, it'll show up as a special cause. Mm -hmm. Um, As a matter of fact, if you really look at uh, the global temperatures, without, without getting into politics... There's graphs on there, and they're full of special cause variation. They're full of noticeable and visible patterns. And basically, the rule of thumb, if you can detect a pattern, you're not just looking at noise and common cause variation. It's special cause if you can detect a pattern. Are there any rules that sh- that you should follow to get to these special causes? Or how does how do I know if there's an anomaly in my graph or an anomaly in my run chart or something's triggering a special cause? How do I how do I figure that out? There's specific rules that show you when you have a statistical anomaly, but when you have uh, it's possible that you can visualize it too. If you have a trend or something that's clearly going uh, in one direction or something that has made some sort of step, it was higher average over a certain time and then consistently a lower average over a certain time, you had some sort of a step in that process. Those are indicators that uh, something strange has happened, something traceable um, that you should be able to go back and find hey, it looked like a change took place at this time. And and we like to use statistical process control charts to uh, monitor those, but uh, it's a lot easier with some sort of software uh, by your side to help do that. Definitely. And what are statistical process control charts? If I'm trying to keep it simple, mm. uh, it's it's a run chart or a time series sort of a plot of data points uh, that is showing you some sort of a trend over time. And uh, I think the perfect example that happens or that's most commonly used is something they call an X-bar R chart, where X-bar is your averages and R is your range, which is actually two charts. So the X-bar chart is, say, if you're taking a bunch of samples, let's say you're taking 10 samples each time you're measuring a particular attribute. Uh, You take 10 samples and you take the average of that attribute at, say, this morning. That's going to be the average of those 10 samples is going to be a first plot. Mm -hmm. And then, say, you take it tomorrow morning, um, another 10 samples, the average of those 10 samples is going to be your second 
plot or second data point on that particular run chart. And you keep plotting this over time. And what you're looking for is a pattern or a time series run chart, which is showing you how is how are your results moving from time to time. Mm-hmm. So that's your X bar chart. And then you will have an R chart, which is again, for all the 10 data points that you had today, what's the range uh, on R, which is the difference between the maximum and the minimum data point that you have? Right. right. How is what's that for today? What's that for tomorrow? And you're trying to see, is that changing over time? Mm-hmm. And then there's a calculation that shows what's your control limits, like what Aaron was referencing. So for all the data points that you've plotted now, you have a you have an average of all those averages, which is your uh, midpoint. And then you, based on the values you have, you look at plus or minus three standard deviations, which is your upper control limit and the lower control limit. That's not the exact formula, but it's close to that. <laughs> and then you look up and see, okay, how many of these are uh, kind of falling beyond these limits and then following the, some of those rules, Western Electric, which we can we can put an episode on that just to kind of highlight what are those out there for folks who are not familiar with it. But you then capture those, um, based on those tests, what are the things that are failing? And things that fail is what is considered as a special cost variation. And the if you look at the lines within those two control limits, they might be going all over the board in some sort of a random fashion. And that's what people attribute as, that's part of your process, that's how things work, that's your common cost variation. Right. And... Uh, you know, with the rules that you referred referenced earlier, Aaron, I think um, the software makes it so much easier yeah. to just highlight which are the ones that are failing some of these rules. Uh, some of the rules are easy, which are visually also you can probably uh, figure it out because there are things that stand out from there. Right. That's what you use to then determine, okay, these are my, say, out of specification sort of points or out of control sort of points. I shouldn't even call it specification. Yeah. Out of control sort of points and let me figure out what happened to them or it's going to give me an alert saying something's not right you got to do something about this right and and the most common one is called rule one um and it is any single point that is beyond three standard deviations from the historical process mean so if you're looking at a run chart usually uh or or a control chart usually has some lines, some boundaries set at three standard plus or minus three standard deviations. That is considered the normal range for common cause variation. And if you see any particular points outside of that, usually those get flagged as something that uh, statistics says, hey, this is a bit of a unlikely situation. You should go check this out. And the importance of this is it's intended to be real time. So it's not like, you know, a month has gone by and you say, oh, look, we have a point out of control here uh, a month ago. Hey, do you remember anything happening that day? No, when you get a point out of control, you're expected to investigate it just about right away. That way you can identify if there was a special cause anomaly. Definitely. So that's stability. Stability is displaying only common cause variation and no special cause variation. And, and special cause variation is called that just because it has a very low statistical probability of occurring by chance alone. Less than three in a thousand chance. Yep. So what about capability? 
Thanks for listening to episode 64 of the E6S Methods Podcast. Stay tuned for episode number 65, where we continue our discussion of process stability and capability in the eye of the cash holder, part 1B. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, contact us through our website or tweet us at E6S Industries. Join our discussions on LinkedIn, subscribe to past and future episodes on iTunes, or stream us live on demand with Stitcher Radio. Leave a five-star review while you're there. Find outlines and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success.